Good morning, everyone. All right. First things first, <laughs> happy Mother's Day. So all you moms, thank you for everything that you've done in the raising of your children. And it is a wonderful day to, to celebrate. Well, this morning can go two ways. The intention for this morning's sermon actually is very, very short. And it's not a Mother's Day type sermon, although I've been doing that for I don't know how many years. This morning I wanted to, um, to have this particular sermon. And it's something that's been on my mind for the last three or so weeks. But there's this preacher side in me that may make it longer than I'm intending. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> intention is we'll be done in about one minute. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, yeah. Before that, I got about a minute's worth of this. Okay. So for the Vacation Bible School this year, um, mark these down. And if not, we'll get it out on email. We'll have uh, Gene send it out on email. May 19th at the Gentry's house. Um, there's going to be a work day over there. And lunch is being provided June 16th. So May 19th, Gentry's house. June 16th here at the building. Um, there's going to be the whole costumes, decorations, all that's going to be done. And then there's going to be a dry run, a reenactment. So those that can make it, I know a number of us are going to be at, at Camp Cope um, starting that weekend. But those that are able, come here at the building, June 16th. July 21st is um, all the decorating that, are not, that is not done will be put up at the building. That's a day before the VBS. So... July 21st, get everything ready here at the building. And then on the 22nd, naturally this week or that week, it will be the VBS. And so, well, there's going to be time, uh, last run through of the reenactment and walk through if they're wanted by tribe leaders and docents. That's a new word for me. Anyway, <laughs> you guys know what that is? This Hawaiian doesn't. All right. Um, then there's also the uh, VBS registration. Parents, any friends that you have and yourselves included, Fill this out and have it turned in. Give it to Leslie. Um, so ha turn those in. All right. If I miss something, oh, yeah, and those are at the four-year table. If I miss something, go see Leslie. All right. That said, this sermon. That passage in Ecclesiastes, I'm going to read it again, that what Parker just read for us, and then we're going to finish with that passage once more, and I want us to, to see the beauty of what's being said here and look at, well, look at the reality of what takes place in our lives. So again, in, in the passage in Ecclesiastes, one more time, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, here we go. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This passage in Ecclesiastes is very telling about the human experience. It really is. Uh, he makes it very, very clear that in numbers among people, there is great benefit. And so when we look at our lives and we look at relationships, whatever those relationships are, 
it's always more than one. Otherwise, you can't have a relationship, right? So whether it's marriage or family, whether it's friendship or the church, whatever the relationships are, we see this point. Some of us would, would love to say, but you know what? I like being alone. I want my time to myself. I need time to get away from all the, the yuck, and, and therein lies some of the problems. We'll get into that. The reality, however, is if you stay alone long enough, you'll go stir crazy, right? What is, I forgot the name of that show when, that, when Tom, whatever his name is, I forget, the actor was stuck FedEx, he's on the island. Castaway, Castaway yes, <laughs> Castaway. Even, even he got all stir crazy. He had to have a friend with a ball, right? He named... I, I know the show, I've watched it, but I can't remember all the details. But yeah, that, that ball that he had with the name of that ball. So anyway, you got stir crazy. Well, that's us as a people, right? We, we live life and we say, well, I want my time alone. But yet in the very beginning, when God is creating the heavens and the earth and day by day is the revelation of his creation, he says it is good. Every day, it is good. It is tov. Right? And so that is reflecting God's goodness in his creation. And then he comes to chapter 2, and after everything God made, it is very good after making man. Then he says, it's not good. That's the first time the, the good is used in a negative. It is not good. And the very first not good in the scripture is it's not good for man to be alone. And, of course, that's when we see the marriage um, situation here. But it's more than just marriage. It's relationships. We are not meant to be alone. And so when we look at the various relationships that we have, we all crave it, right? Why is it that people want to, when, when you're young, you want to have friends, right? You, you go to the playground, and we make friends. You get a little bit older, you want a boyfriend or you want a girlfriend or you want to have a best friend and then when you get a little bit older you want one of those best friends to become your spouse and then you get a little bit older and, and again you're you're seeing relationships um, evolve and sometimes devolve because of life and then you're always craving relationships that's part of life and so when God created everything was good because that's why he made us that way to crave relationships and so we see these relationships, yet he knew that when we were created, that we weren't going to be alone, and we were not meant to be alone. And so he made us to be a part of a community larger than ourselves. And that is why we, when we see the body of Christ, we're seeing a community of people who all have the same belief system, and that is Jesus is the Christ who died for my sins, and I'm a part of this community of believers who share this message of encouragement with each other and hopefully reaching those who are outside. And you know who is included in that, right? Those who are on the fringe of society, wherever the society is. Who's left out? Those who may be actually feeling all alone in a population of about 7 billion people. So... That's God's desire for us, and that's why I believe we have this crave for this kind of relationship. The problem with relationships 
is sin. The reason why we say, well, I want to spend my time together. I want to be alone. I want to be left alone is because we don't like the relationships that we have, right? And sometimes it's a matter of, well, I have too much relationships. So you want to get away, right? Have some time of peace. But when, when it's all enjoyable, we never get tired of that, generally speaking. But what we often see in our relationships is that when things go south, we want separation. That's a reality. It's a reality in a parent-child relationship, husband-wife relationship, friends, even brethren. And so these are things that bring about this kind of thing that is not good, right? The concept of it is not good for men to be alone. And so I want you to open your Bibles to James chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple of passages, and then the lesson will be yours. It's a very simple lesson. It is not rocket scientists at all, and yet some of the most simple lessons to understand are the most very difficult to live out in our lives. I mean, all we have to do is look at our own lives, every one of us. Look at our own experiences, and this will just smack us right between the forehead or in the forehead. I can't talk this morning. I'm just going to finish the sermon. No, no, no. All right. Let's go to James 4. And, and just notice these simple but powerful truths. And then maybe we can kind of look to see what this whole purpose of this sermon is about in our relationships. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Oh, I got to get over to James here. Okay. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Notice the play on words about all this, where your friendship, where your relationship lies. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend or have a relationship, if you will, with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Jealously, But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sin is what damages any relationship. And sin is the byproduct of what is within us that brings about the wars and the strifes and the division, the, the, the friction. What we have are things within us where we do these things that breaks down that relationship. We look down on others. You know, I've got it right, you've got it wrong. My way better than your way. However it is, we look down upon each other. We scorn, as the old King James would, would say, we scorn each other. Or we just get into a fight. You know, I just, I just want to argue with you. Anything you say, I'm going to say it more accurately, better, right? Or what if, if, if it's cold outside, no, it's not, it's hot, right? No matter what it is, we're just going to say the opposite. And then we talk about each other. That's what happens in life. We, we just, 
these are human behavior that we somehow perfect. So we talk about each other. We judge. We condemn. We place undue expectations on each other. These are all things that every one of us at some time has been guilty of. Every one of us. Yeah, that, I mean, kind of amazing to say that I don't do that. Yeah, we all have at one point, if not do it often. So these are things that damage relationships. So here we are on one side, we crave relationships. And then the relationships that we do have, we destroy. That's the human experience, right? Any of us ever lost a friend because of a fight? Any of us have strained relationships? Yeah, this part of life. That's our downfall. And so while we want the good, we don't always live up to the good ourselves. And so when it comes to this concept of what God wants, if he wants us to, to have us in relationships because it is not good for man to be alone, well, what's the answer? The answer is too simple, isn't it? It's too simple. It's the answer for everything that is wrong. It's love. That's the answer. And we're not talking about the necessarily the lovey, feel-good type stuff. We're talking about the genuine care for someone else's best interest. That's what we're talking about. And the outflow of that in the relationship that we have. And so if we're looking at the downfall of relationships where that is sin, here is the success of all relationships. So from the very beginning in the garden, you get to see what life is like in its perfection. And the flip side is true in the garden. Remember the first thing that took place when, when Eve and then she gives her husband, they partake of the fruit. First thing when God says, hey, Eve, I thought I told you not to partake of that. And then what does she do? Oh, no, actually, it's the husband, first one, right? It's my wife. It's her fault. All right, wife, what did you? Well, it was, it was, this, it was this serpent over here. I mean, that's what we do. We don't like to take accountability oftentimes. But the flip side with love is that I'm going to look out for your best interests. You know, what can we do to build up these relationships? And so whatever the situation is, we show this love. So go back to Ecclesiastes one more time. I want you to look at the text again and note the message here. This message is very proverbial, right? So very, very, particularly verse 12. Two are better than one. And in the New King James, it doesn't do a, as good of a job. For those of you that have the New American Standard, it brings it out better with regard to this economy standpoint about profit. But in New King James, it says... Because they, the two, have a good reward for their labor. In other words, you take one person here, and for, for a, a very simple illustration, you make five bucks. And this person over here, he makes five bucks. So if you put them together, they should make $10, right? But the reality is, the two coming together can be even more productive. Maybe instead of making $10 total, they make $20 instead of $10 separately. In other words, the sum of the two are greater than the two individuals. That's the picture here. And then he illustrates it even further. 
because it's more than just an economy uh, mindset. It's, there's so many other facets to a relationship when the relationship is tov, when it's good. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. Isn't that the beauty of a good friend? That when one is down, the other is able to pick them up. But when friendship is not there, you're all alone. When you're all alone and you fall, there's no one to pick you up. That's the picture given here. And so thus the importance of having relationships that are good relationships. And then he gives one more aspect. And my, as I'm getting older, this is, I, I look at verse 11 and I see the, the, the picture because we live where we have all kinds of blankets, nice micro, plush, whatever type of blanket to keep us warm. Or we even have those ones you turn them on and they warm us up at night, those electric type blankets. They didn't have that back then. So notice what he says that illustrates this statement of two being better than one. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. What an amazing benefit that by having the warmth of each other going off of one another to help be a blessing in the cold, cold night. And verse 12 is what really brings everything home. I want you to see this. One is overpowered. There's a play on, on the words, by the way. I don't know if I, yeah, it doesn't come out as good on the screen as it does on, on my screen here. But one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand them. So here's this one, here's a two, and now here's three. One overpowered, or maybe overpowered. Two with, is able to withstand, but three? <coughs> three, or a threefold cord, is not quickly broken. In other words, there is strength not only in having friendship, good friendships, but strength in numbers. Now think about it from a marriage standpoint, from a parent-child standpoint, sibling standpoint, friends that you have. And think about the church. Because in, in many situations, there, there are times in our lives where we just want to be left alone. And the benefit is very much outweighed by when we have good quality relationships. And I think what, we, what takes place in the body of Christ often is when you, know, you have those who believe in Jesus, but alone. And when God used, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses, well, verse 22 through verse 33 of that text there. Of course, there's more text than that. But when he used it, when he's talking about husband and wife, love your husbands or respect your husbands, love your wives. He said, I'm talking about the church. At the very end of that text, in that relationship illustration of marriage, he's talking about the Lord's church and he's saying, this is how we ought to be treating each other. The way Christ treats us and the way we ought to treat Christ. That's how we need to be with one another. And so he uses an illustration of relationships that are very much understood in light of a passage like Ecclesiastes. So again, real simple, this message is. Do you want good relationships? We're going to sin. We're going to say things. We're going to do things. We're going to think things that can 
add friction or even degrade our relationships that we have. But if we want them to be good, if we want them to be successful, we're going to have to go out and have good efforts, if you will, tove efforts. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at these last two passages, Ecclesiastes 4 and then um, here in this bond of perfection, which is also illustrated in 1 Corinthians 13, is this text here, and it's also in um, Ephesians 4, pursue the bond of peace. Right? We're talking about having unity. It has to be pursued. It just doesn't happen. It has to be built. It has to be established at first, and then it has to be maintained. And that takes place over the course of life and relationships within the body of Christ. And so we are told in Ephesians chapter 4 to have a certain mindset if we're going to have this kind of peace. And I want you to let this sink within your mind. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling wherein which you've been called. With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the same concept as Ecclesiastes 4 about a threefold cord. And similarly, as he goes on giving this illustration, we are told in verse 13, well, let me back up, in fact, in verse 11 following, and see the message here in verse 13 about this bond of perfection, about what Jesus Christ has given to the body of Christ. And naturally, this is in husband-wife relationship, parent-child, sibling, all the relationships you can imagine. Here's the answer. With regard to the church... Paul says of Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is for the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body in the edifying of itself in love." And that is what this bond of perfection is later illustrated in this passage. That bond of perfection that we have is the answer to that picture of being alone. When we're able to express in our actions, in our body language, in our thoughts, the life that God wants us to have in our relationships with each other, it becomes beautiful, it becomes good. You'll see churches grow closer and closer. You'll see families grow closer and closer. The, the flip side is also true, right? We don't pursue the bond of perfection. If we don't pursue peace, you'll see that, that unraveling of that cord. And eventually, we overcome by the sins that we snare one another with. And so... This lesson is very, very simple, but I'm wanting to share that because what I see 
happening all throughout the country, right? You see it on Facebook every single day. And no wonder some of you are getting off Facebook. It's just this constant tearing down, constant judgment. Yes, some people are joining Facebook. I get it. <laughs> I know. But, but really, I mean, there's a lot that we're like, ah, oh, I'm tired of it. We want to get away. But it can be used as a good tool like any other relationship. And so keep these words in mind. And so the song that we're singing, right, blessed be the tie that binds, that's what we need to have on the forefront of our minds. And that's what we need to exercise as children of God in all the relationships that we have for his glory and for our benefit. So the song is there for you. And guess what? Think about it this way as well. When, when you talk about being added to the body of Christ, it's like being added to that cord, if you will. And you're joined and knit together by Christ into his body. And that takes place when you die with him. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you're willing to, to be buried with him and to rise to walk in newness of life because you believe he is the Christ that died for your sins and you're willing to walk with him, your invitation is to be added into his body this very hour, if you so choose. And brethren, if you want our prayers, that we can be praying for you and be drawn closer and closer to you, by all means, this is a great opportunity for us to take advantage of this moment and to pray with you. So the invitation is yours, as together we stand and sing this song.